Hey, everyone, real quick, this is Ben Kwam, uh, co-host of Libations for Everyone. <laughs> uh, in our strive to bring you amazing, fun, awesome guests from all over the place, we've been trying to use more interwebs, uh, a.k.a. Zoom, to do shows. Uh, we are at the mercy of the internet when we do that, and unfortunately on this episode, the internet got kind of angry at us a few times. I did the best job I could editing it. There was one chunk where we were actually getting into something somewhat serious where it completely cut out. So not knowing what else to do, I gave us a little segue, a little intermission, a little technical difficulties music. So when you hear that, don't be freaked out. That's all that was. Uh, thanks for listening. We love you so much. Here's the show. Here we are again. It's another episode of Libations for Everyone. Uh, it's uh, it's unseasonably warm once again. Thank you to everybody for uh, all your thoughts and prayers about Minnesota being cool after recording our last episode because it's gross. I chose to wear a hoodie when I walked out of the house and I came home sweaty. Ben, is, is, is it you're just your excuse? Do you just say it's unseasonably warm so you can show the guns and the tattoos? That's basically it. No 20 no below zero, and Ben's like, I want to show the tattoos. It's unseasonably warm. It's That's why. Unseasonably warm. <laughs> I prefer it's a private show, seasoned. though. We're the only ones who can see this. <laughs> it's our weather and our food are the two things that are unseasonable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, you know what? We're already talking to him. We should probably introduce uh, our guest. Uh, once again, we're taking the show, quote unquote, on the road. We're using the power of the interwebs and cyber things and whatever Mike Liddell warns us about. Uh, we're using that to contact a good friend, an amazing human, and a new uh, Pacific Northwest resident. Uh, doctor, would you introduce yourself to everybody and tell them uh, why they should know who you are? That's right. It's a good intro. Phil Mackey here for my pillow. If you're looking for a great night's <laughs> sleep and if you're looking to own the libs, it's Phil Mackey here for my pillow and mypillow.com. Overturn your bad night's sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, and he's from fucking Minnesota. Of course he is. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, they should, have, they should have Mike Lindell mustache day at Target Field during the lead up to the election. How about that? You know, I still haven't recovered from. Uh, we used to have this running joke about Dick Enrico, who uh, I don't know if he. Oh yeah, Se Midwest, second wind guy. Yeah. Yeah, the second wind guy. So he sells uh, used sporting equipment. And uh, some friends of mine threw a Dick and Rico themed party and sent in a generic email to his company's website. And he showed up for an hour and took pictures with everybody, left a case of bobbleheads, and then disappeared back out into the night. Wait, you can just like request Dick and Rico to come to your place for appearances? I mean, I don't know if he'll continue to do it, but he sure as hell did for that party. And Dick I have friends, this was like 10 years ago. I have friends that still talk about it. Like, I feel like Dick and Dick and Rico is like if you remember back in the I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in air quotes the glory days of Timberwolves basketball which was like one year basically where they went to the Western Conference Finals with KG and I love the Timberwolves so much but if there was a Mount Rushmore of local like B level celebrities that showed up and sat courtside for Wolves games Dick and Rico was on the Mount Rushmore he was at every Timberwolves game back in the day. And no matter what he wore, his pants were always ill-fitting. I could never figure out how <laughs> yeah. they still always looked like he had so much money, and he was clearly yeah, like coming 
Yeah, but he's just got like a weird, kind of weird, he's got body. a weird body shape. He looks like a bowling pin. <laughs> uh, well, because the a lot of stones being thrown in glass houses here, by the way. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm I'm shapes. I'm multiple shapes. It's pear shaped plus <laughs> apple shaped, smushed all together. Uh, but because we're not in the same room, I feel like we should talk about what everybody's going to be sipping on for this episode. Uh, so, Charles, what do you have at your place right now? Uh, I'm being especially destructive this evening and drinking uh, dirty vodka martinis and Millard. Oh, wow. Go well together. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, I feel, wow. I feel wildly, wildly underprepared right now. I'm, I'm drinking I'm a, um, <laughs> I'm drinking a 2017 precarious Pinot Noir uh, that was, that was imported all the way from Oregon. Whoa. Quite That's right. Uh, I feel like mentioning this right now, Phil, this would be a great time. So you were a legendary um, uh, sports radio guy here in the Twin Cities in, in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, you've recently relocated uh, out west. Do you want to just kind of tell everybody what that journey has been like? Yeah. Um, so uh, we're running from the police. And no, no, it's uh, so my, <laughs> my, my wife and I. So I long story short, because I don't want to bore everyone here. Um, my front facing job is Score North, previously 1500 ESPN Radio. Um, score North radio and the digital platform that we've been building the last three years. My behind the scenes job at Harvard radio is director of digital content development for their eight markets. So Harvard, so Harvard has KS 95 um, score North and my talk in the twin cities, which is what I think most people who are listening are going to be familiar with those radio stations. And then they also have radio stations and brands in Chicago, Washington, DC, St. Louis, Cincinnati, Phoenix, West Palm, um, and, and Seattle, I might be missing a market or two in there, but so I'm working out of our Seattle office, helping with those radio stations and helping with a lot of the other Harbor markets. And it's, honestly, it's one of those deals where my wife had some job opportunities as well. And, and, and we, um, we just kind of wanted to live somewhere else for a little while before we die, which we haven't. I get that. And I love Minnesota so much. And I was there for the first 36 years of my life. And um, obviously I'm going to be connected to the sports teams until I kick the bucket. Cause I just, I love, I love, even though it's a tormented masochistic collection of sports teams and fandom um, the links are the only saving grace really the last 30 years. Thank you, Cheryl Reeve and Lindsay Whalen. Um, I love Minnesota sports so much that I don't, I don't care if we live in Thailand at some point, like I will be watching every Vikings game and wolves game, et cetera. So we're hanging out, and Seattle's very similar to Minneapolis in a lot of ways. It's kind of a similar size. It's very outdoorsy, a lot to explore, and um, they're super all in on their football team. So it's uh, it's been a blast, and yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the short story. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. Well, we should probably jump into this. Uh, I am drinking. Uh, I figured since you were going to be pulling some delicious wine from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I am drinking a bottle of uh, Italian white wine called Mungabel. Uh It's from Sicily. Uh, this is grown um, on the, I believe it's the, uh, Mount Erto. Uh, it's fantastic. Bright, crisp, got some kind of funky notes. Uh, they let it sit in the grapes for a little while, so it's kind of close to like an orange wine. Uh, and then when that's done, I brought some mezcal. So I figure <laughs> we could turn up that way. <laughs> let's get uh, it well let's get it i feel let's let's jump into it so uh we should all uh take a drink and then i believe charles you're going to take it away with uh question number one so cheers fellas cheers Love you guys your face phil 
boom. Hey, to, to the Vikings firing everyone in about a month. Oh, God. Welcome to Libations for Everyone. I'm Charles Awad, and with me today is Benjamin Guam. You didn't do the intro. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean. Okay. Doesn't matter. We're drinking alcohol, so no one really cares. <laughs> That's Charles. I'm Ben. It's Libations. If you're listening, yeah, you know the you know. drills. This is like episode 34. You know the drill. So, when are you guys going to get Michael Buffer to come in? What, like, when, when are we going to beef up the budget? <laughs> Michael, because all, all I would do is just do his my impression of him back to him the whole time, and then he'd hang up after like three minutes. So find, do, find do you have a Michael Buffer impression? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I had a I had a bit back in the day when. Uh, yeah, what happened to the impressions, Clown? Oh yeah, I, I guess I haven't done a really bad impression in a long time. Uh, back in the weekly day, bad impressions uh, for the first like twenty episodes. When 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 Adrian Peterson uh, decided to put the ball on the ground in a game that really mattered a whole lot, even though Favre gets all the blame for it, uh, we did a whole lot of let's get ready to fumble, and then obviously we get sued with a season assist. <laughs> oh, Charles, what do you think, man? Let's do it. Let's get it ripping. So, question number one, Phil: uh, Minnesota is cabin country which we realize some of our guests do not understand. Are you a cabin or vacation home kind of dude? And if so, what do you love about it? If not, why do you think it's stupid? Um, so I am like the least and worst Minnesotan ever. Like yeah. I don't okay. snowmobile. I don't really fish. I don't, I certainly don't ice fish. I don't understand the appeal or the point of ice fishing. Why are we sitting out here? We're just sitting here. There's some pistachios, but I can't feel my hands. Um, it's a pistachio. <laughs> so I've never, I've never nuts. gotten into, <laughs> I've never really gotten fully into like, I mean, I've, I've, I hike and I love going on water and stuff, but I've never mm. been fully immersed as a Minnesotan in some of those regards. Like when winter hits, I'm just inside watching basketball on TV or whatever, like football yeah. and like eating tater tot hot dish or something. But yeah. Um, if it, so I've never had a cabin and I've never had like a, I've never had a vacation home, but we love the North shore hotels, lodges, Airbnbs, whatever, uh, in, inject it all into my veins. Yeah. I feel like so that's you, it. Oh, go ahead. Cause so you, you get it, but on a different level, I'm glad you answered it the way you did. Otherwise this would have been really boring. It would have just been three Minnesota guys being like, Oh yeah, I like the cabin. <laughs> so, yeah it's pretty good yeah you know yeah. Oh, the weather the weather up there yeah <laughs> well, Wait, so you guys you guys you guys are cabin guys you guys have cabins or what's what's your story i've Go always had time. i've always had like the house that was the cabin so it's like i can say that i love cabin country but it's i love going up north and staying in another house that's not my house and then you can kind of hang out and like look out at the lake yeah. i'm also Would you refer to as the cabin though yeah, in, in well, of course, dude. Which, by the way, translate that. There, that is. There needs to be a distinct line drawn. It feels very fraudulent if you have like, you know, a climate-controlled four-bedroom house or something. That's not a cabin. That is a home. Well, that's that the is, thing. But, but the way that people look at you when you're like, oh, we're going up to the lake house, they're like, oh, good for you. Look at right. you with your fans. Yeah, like, but <laughs> but if you say we're going up to the cabin and then you walk in and it's like 20 foot high ceilings and five bedrooms and like, you know, you can adjust everything electronically with your phone. Like, that's not a cabin. That's not a cabin. Growing up, we had we had all of the all of the nice things. We had hot water. We had a dishwasher. We had a nice stove. 
What we didn't have was TV. We had a TV that only had Channel 4. So I will say that we spent a lot more time outside because you couldn't just hang out around the, the TV except on Sundays when there was a football game on. Other than that, you kind of just had to be outside because it was like soap operas yeah. during the day. And, and Don, Shelby at, shows at night. Don Shelby yeah. at night. With his I, have, I, have a gopher, I have a gopher in my pants, Amelia. His name is Carlos. <laughs> his triple-tied Shelby knot, which I still think is the sexiest <laughs> thing ever. But that was the thing. Like, I, I loved going up to the cabin, but it was it, all it was was a way of just getting somewhere else and relaxing. It was I didn't have any chores up at the cabin. We could all just kind of hang out. Uh, the neighbors were really cool, so we could do that. Now, as I've gotten older, my in-laws have a place that's technically called the cabin, which is where my father and mother-in-law uh, live part of the year. And then it's fun because we have the nephews and the niece, so they can go. It's fun watching the kids just run. Like, you can make an entire day out of run off the dunk and jump, dock and jump in the water over and over and over again. Then they're tired. I don't have to wrestle with anybody. Like, it's kind of like, it's a fun way of, like, wearing the kids out. <laughs> Sure. I remember, I think I grew, I grew up in my, my mom who grew up on farms and is like the outdoorsiest, handiest person. She, she died a few years ago, but like was the handiest, most outdoor person, but was not a cabin person, was not a camping person. And I remember one time when I was a kid, I asked her, cause all my friends would like go camping. And so I'm like, why don't we ever go camping? And she's like, I mean, we could like go outside, but we're staying at a holiday inn. Like we're not, <laughs> we're not pooping in the woods. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. The classy I work, I didn't work my whole life to pretend to be homeless. I think is what <laughs> a lot of people go with. The camping thing no. is an entirely different subset too. That's way more divisive, especially for Minnesotans. Most Minnesotans are like, sure, I like to go to cabins, whether it's mine or my friends. Camping, it's split down the middle. There's 50% of the people who are like, fuck that. I'm not sleeping in the woods and 50% yeah. who are like, fuck that. I'm not staying in the cab and I want to sleep right outside. the cab. I think my anxiety about, and this is probably hits home with other people too. My anxiety about camping is 100% because I have irritable bowel syndrome and I don't want to deal with that in the woods. I don't want to be dealing Fair. with, I don't want to be at the mercy of like how thick the leaves are, you know, mm -hmm. when, when the stomach's rumbling <laughs> or if it's the right leaf, right? <laughs> is this the right leaf? Is this, is this passable? Yes. We'll find out. <laughs> I also like, I, I freely admit, I, I hate bugs. I, I don't like trying to sleep when there's the one fly that keeps buzzing around and like goes by your ear for a while. I will lose, lose my absolute fucking mind over that. Like I can't, I'll get unconsciously angry. I'll yell at a tree. Like I can't, I can't deal with that. When I want to go to bed, it has to just be quiet. I uh, I chemical bomb all my shit now. I used to be averse to that, like, oh, let's be all natural. But I got Lyme disease, so now I don't fuck around. Mm. I uh, sprayed my I sprayed the jeans I'm wearing this weekend at the cabin uh, a couple hours ago with permethrin, and I let them dry outside so that any ticks come anywhere near me, and those fuckers will die instantly. Yeah, always plan <laughs> ahead for sure. Well, Charles, where do you sit on the the cabin versus camping uh, spectrum? Well, I, I wouldn't say it's a versus thing, but I am very much a cabin person. I, I enjoy having access to a cabin. About 12 years ago, my dear friend Mike, who passed away last year, started bringing me to his family's cabin. It was very much a Goldilocks situation because I had like an 80s style cabin, which is probably more like what you're talking about, Phil. It's just, there was a bathroom in it, but no AC and, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of bugs and stuff. No matter what you did, there was mosquitoes swarming around you at night 
And they went from having that sort of 80 style cabin to building a, like a state of the art lake house next door. And now two doors over, they bought this uh, old lady's log cabin, which is where I stay now when I go up there and where I'll be this weekend. So they have like these three different uh, genres of cabin, the 80s cabin, <laughs> the state of the art Minnesota lake house, and like the old timey uh, uh, wood burning oven log cabin, which <laughs> when, when, so when Mike was with us, he always wanted to stay in the log cabin when that lake house was pretty new. And I'd be like, why are you doing this to me, man? Like for the first, for the first couple of years, I was like, that cabin is incredible. Or the lake house is incredible. Vaulted ceilings are like 60 feet high. I always wanted to hang out in there because it was just beautiful. Now I totally get it. It was toward the tail end of his life. I did totally understand it. He wanted to do like cabin life, like cabin, cabin life. And so now when I go there, we do cowboy grills. You know, we cook over the open fire. Uh, we build a fire inside. He never, he used to lie and say that the heat didn't work so that we'd have to build a fire to heat up the house which I absolutely adore. <laughs> he was like, oh, no, it doesn't work. Or, you know, we haven't done carbon monoxide testing in a long time. I don't know oh, if we can, I don't know if we can turn the actual heat on in here. And then we, we might we die the fire, but that's way cooler. Like how, how, how Minnesotan uh, small cabin life is that building a fire in a wood burning oven indoors. Um, so I would say, yes, I am very much a cabin person. I'm you, looking forward to this I mean, weekend. it's anyways, like everything you just described, like this is, this is probably a totally different subject, but mm. everything you just described was how people lived for thousands of years until like a hundred years ago. Right. You know, and now it's like, like everything you just described is so primitive, right? Oh my God, we're going to, we're going to start a <laughs> fire to stay warm and light some candles so we can stay up late at night. And we're going to have to like, go to the outhouse to go to the bathroom it's like for thousands and millions of years that's how people lived and then people just died when they were like 30 and got or got like eaten by a bear or something and that, just like just in the last 120 150 years you know we now have, like you like clap and all your electronics turn on or you know well, your was, whole life is like, in a device that was like the one percent that got to live in like those houses that we consider primitive now too yeah like right. most humans were just like out under the stars or maybe under like a giant you know sort of tarp or something but like the actual structures like you had to have a lot of money to have a permanent house somewhere you had to have the land and have the ability to do it it's it's not really i do like the about it well go ahead if you really think about it, it's it's pretty macabre that it's our idea of recreation to pretend to live the way people live so they can survive. Yes, it is. You know, like I, I'm going this weekend to pretend to be primitive because it's fun. Whereas people who live that way were literally just trying to not freeze to death. Like what but the I fuck like, do people do? Like I, I was just in Phoenix last weekend visiting my dad who lives on the outskirts. He lives in Surprise, Arizona. And they had record setting heat day. It was like 111 degrees, which I think the average high is like 106 or something, but it's like 111 degrees. Fuck. And I'm like, I took his garbage out 50 yards down the street or whatever. And I'm walking back and like, I'm like crawling back, you know, like I'm like in a desert, you know, is that a bottle of water on the horizon? I'm dying, just sweating my ass off. And, th and I got inside of <laughs> the air sure you had your phone on you. Yes. <laughs> right? And I got inside and I'm thinking, Jesus, like, what if you lived here, which people, you know, people did for, you know, Native Americans and then white people went and stole their land. And it's like people just lived, lived outside or lived inside with no air conditioning. And it's 115 degrees. All right. <laughs> sounds terrible I'd be, 
I'd be painting inside a cave myself. Yeah. <laughs> like, is that shade? Is it cool? Yeah. I'm going to be an artist. I'll be the one. Yeah. You guys go I'm do whatever. I'll, be the, I'll, right. I'll draw. I'll draw all of us. Don't worry. I'll get, I'll get I'm not the hunter gatherer. I'm the painter. Okay. I'm the painter. I'm, don't worry. You're not going to get it now, but like a thousand years from now, people will pay a bunch of money to come look at what I did. Yeah. Like, can you I imagine trying to explain? <laughs> trying to explain like an NFT piece of art to someone who's painting <laughs> caves 150 years ago. <laughs> Uh, no fucking thanks, NFT. No, no, I said fungible. Yeah. <laughs> fungible. I do like Charles though. I do like that you pointed out that you're having a flight of cabins. You're having a little sample of all of the cabins, and then you can kind of try it out as you go. The the Goldilocks thing is legit. Yeah. You just get to try them all at the same time. I I have stayed in them all, but now we always stay in a log cabin when I go up there. So that's that. It is my favorite one too. I genuinely do enjoy it that experience the most when I'm up there. I don't mind dipping into the big cabin and like having a drink with Mike's folks and, you know, seeing the space and hanging out in there. But I, I love the small cabin uh, effect of the, the log cabin situation. What's and I the agree. Over-under, what's the over under on how many cigars you're going to consume this weekend? Around what? On, on how many cigars you're going to consume this weekend? Oh, uh, I'll say 25. Oh, all right wow wow i'm loaded charles is our cigar aficionado for sure <laughs> just, just, he's got two he's got one in each ear just trying to get to 25 just cabins are the the best time you're literally always outside you're, you're looking for something to do when you're just kind of sitting there so you got a drink in one hand and a cigar in the other hand could be a coffee in the morning could be an old-fashioned in the evening but do you get do you get anxiety hand, like i feel like I try so hard now to just, even for like 10 or 15 minutes a day, just get away from my phone, sit outside, don't touch any technology or look at a screen. And I, and like I said, it's for like 10 or 15 minutes and I start to feel like, oh my God, what, what am I missing right now? You know, yeah, like going up to a cabin and ditching your phone for like a full day. I mean, that is, that's like anxiety inducing, I think for a lot of people in 2021. You know, I like that because when I am traveling or when I have traditionally been traveling overseas to my place in Lebanon, my phone hasn't worked away from the house. I've never done, I have never done the SIM card thing. I just don't have a working phone with me as a camera at that point. Uh, that happened to me when I was in Santiago, the cabin actually very recently, I've been able to get any kind of a signal at that small log cabin. I kind of wish I couldn't because I appreciated that. I would just put it in the corner of the room and not fuck with it and just be doing cabin stuff. So I would say I am, I am capable of doing that. It, obviously the, the further along in history we get more difficult, it probably is. And I don't realize it, yeah. but we'll find out this weekend. I'm going to be among good company and I'm going to try and just not mess around on my phone at all. So that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to be very uh, cognizant of that as well. We, um, for my 40th birthday, we rented a chateau in France and a bunch of our friends, we all met there and I made it a day and a half and I was, I had to get back on. It was, it was too much for me. That's a lot. I mean, a day and a half is a lot, but you also had a chateau in France. And so like from, from that perspective, it's like, come on, dude, you couldn't make it 48 hours. <laughs> no, we made it through the first night and then the next day we got up and everybody was hanging out by the pool and it was just like, dude, 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 dude. we had wi-fi like things were popping yep. there were pings and pongs going off There's dude, like you it. know what the most like the closest i've come my wife and i got married in um in scottsdale two years ago two decembers ago and it was 
just a small little, it was uh, the Hermosa Inn, which I think technically is in Paradise Valley, for anyone who's familiar with that amazing area. And we had 11 people, it was a super small wedding, and we just wanted for five days, we just wanted to have a blast. And so I was definitely on my phone, but I, I was without my phone for like eight to 10 hours most days. And I let my work email all come in. I had an out of office and my out of office said, I will not be checking or reading any emails or responding to. And I think I even said all emails sent between X and X. It was like December 20. I think it was, you know, it was a holiday weekend. It was like December 26th through like the first of the year it will be deleted. Brilliant. And it was the most therapeutic <laughs> thing ever. And I wouldn't have done that like in the middle of April or something, but like, you know, this is a holiday week anyway. So why are you emailing me? And it's my wedding week. I literally, when I got back, I had, I don't know, 150, 200 emails. Most were probably spam. I didn't look at any of them. I just highlighted them all, deleted them all. And anything that's important, anything that's important will bounce back to you at some point, unless your car is getting repossessed or something, you know, it's a power move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a boss move right there. I have to admit, I have, I have legit email envy right now. That is a Honestly, power there's, move. There, there's a voicemail hack, too, for anyone who has. So I, you know, I, I want my cell phone to be my only phone. And so I've had, like, office phones before. And I, and I always leave a voicemail uh, or whatever you call it, uh, the message on your message. voicemail. Yeah, yeah. And it says, I don't check these voicemails. Please email me at this. And I don't check those. It's great. Like, it's a great life hack. I don't have to. I, it's, a, it's one less voice mailbox to check. And if you left a message, that's on you. You didn't listen to the instructions. Send me an email. Brilliant. You know? Absolutely. Uh, I, I I maybe, to, I'm taking notes right now, man. Maybe I'm, 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 it's also possible I'm a sociopath. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, that sounds healthier than what I'm doing. So I'm going to go ahead and say that even if it's sociopathic. I'm don't, <laughs> don't contact me. Don't make eye contact is what, is what Ben. Look at the floor doing. when Maggie's in the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, I believe that deserves a toast. Hey. Another round. Cheers to actually ignoring technology once in a while. There it yeah. is. As we're using technology to talk to each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, Thank you. I'm, I'm, up, Vago. I'm up to bat again. Question number two. Back to back. Now we need a Bruce so, Buffer impression. We already have the Michael Buffer. Do we have, <laughs> it's time. Fighting oh, out no. of the blue corner. <laughs> he does like the, twir the twirl around, is when you he know it's a big around. fight. An extra half million cards. dollars, I'll get you the twirl around. Cards. Uh, you know, you gotta, Charles, you gotta hold some Before shit we like go this. any further, Charles, have I ever, have I ever told you the story of when I accidentally called the wrong fighter to the ring for a UFC fight that was at first half? Oh no! As I no, honestly, no, probably top. Did he come out most, and then he fought the guy? Uh, no, the guy <laughs> that I called <laughs> came out. He's like, oh, I guess I'm fighting now. And then the guy that was supposed to come out after the fight he lost and blamed me and had to get held back that's top five like most mortified i've ever well, been wait so were you doing were you you were ring announcing or what yeah so i was the ring and announcer you, so and you were they, doing they, multiple multiple matches yeah we had nine fights that night okay and it's it was set up in the middle of first avenue which is a music club and they had the octagon in on the dance floor and it was completely sold out they had like 1200 tickets i think uh, it was just packed like the whole club was just on top of you. So I would go in in between and I, you know, I was in my, my tuxedo and I had a mohawk at the time 
and I was introducing and they had just this stack of note cards. Like I didn't have a full sheet with all the fights. Each fighter was on a note card and whoever made the stack of note cards got two of them in the wrong spot. Oh no! So I introduced the wrong fighter. He was livid because he was doing his pregame ritual and thought somehow he had screwed up. Yeah. So I messed up his whole pregame shit. And then the guy whose <laughs> fight it actually was, was livid because now he was like thrown off his game because he was getting ready to like, you know, come down with a towel over his head and do the slow walk. But then somebody else went out to his fight. He was confused. He lost. Uh, and literally his manager and two friends had to hold him back because he was coming for me because he blamed me for him losing. That's, that seems like he has some, maybe some insecurities and anger issues or, or just, you know, be a better fighter. If, I can if see why he'd be frustrated. He's a local mixed martial artist. He's probably... Yeah. If you're in, if you're in a lot of cards at a Minnesota mixed martial arts fight in 2006, yeah. I'm going to yeah. guess that the only thing you were fighting on is anger about the rest of your life circumstances. So I had a similar, not not like a similar experience to you in that I wasn't allowed to fuck up the ring announcing thing. So I was, are you guys professional wrestling fans at all? In yeah, your lives? love it. I'm obsessed, yeah. Okay, so I, wow, we should we should almost just do a whole separate, so I'm, I've been a, a diehard my whole life. I'm all in on AEW right now. It's the best thing oh going on Oh, my God. We could have talked years. about wrestling. I didn't know you were wrestling. Dude, man. it is so much fun what's happening right now. Um, I just but, uh, one, of, one of my clients is Falling Knife. So This week alone, one of my clients is Falling Knife Brewing Company. We started doing uh, – we watch NXT there on Tuesdays. Yeah. And we're doing a wrestling show at Prize Brewing Company, one of my other, my other clients, on Sunday. So right. I'm, I'm very wrestling-centric. Oh, so, all right. We'll definitely have to – to use a, a 2020, uh, 2021 buzz phrase, let's circle back on that at some point. Um, so in 2012, I want to say, at the Minneapolis Convention Center, they put 2,000 people in one of those ballrooms with like risers and everything. It was like a legit independent wrestling show for Jerry Lynn's retirement match. Uh, wow. And, and, and Jerry Lynn for, Minnesota for the born. non-wrestling. Yeah, Minnesota. I mean, there's a ton of Minnesota-born famous wrestlers, mm-hmm. but... Uh, I was always a mid card guy in the in the in the big federations. He was an ECW, one of the ECW originals, if I remember right. I was already um, won the title. Had a run in WWF and and whatnot, and so it was his retirement card. And they had a lot of guys. Tommy Dreamer. They had uh, Sabu wrestled a hardcore match. Yeah, yeah. In the in the main event, well, I'll, I'll I'll give you the the real highlight of the night in a second. But they had reached out to me to be a quote unquote celebrity guest ring announcer for one of the matches. It was for, I think it was for Rhino versus I can't remember who the local guy was, but Rhino versus like a local guy. And um, one of the guys had a manager that was kind of an, an, uh, it's kind of like a crazy mad scientist guy. And the initial plan, so first of all, they, I wasn't allowed to screw it up because I only had one match. They handed me the card, read this, right? And then <laughs> just be done. So there was nothing to screw up. But originally the plan going in was like at the beginning of the night, you're supposed to get there an hour, hour and a half early and they're going over. The booker is in the back in a locked like side room and they're bringing the wrestlers in one by one. The matches are, and he's giving them the finishes and stuff. And so initially they had told me, we want you involved. We want you're going to get, so you're going to get trash talked by the manager, the mad scientist manager guy. And then what's going to happen is he's going to shove you a couple times and get the crowd going. And then you're going to punch him and he's going to take a bump 
and then chaos is going to ensue and then you're going to get the pop and i'm like oh my god this, i'm like nervous i'm like oh dude this is amazing i'm gonna lay this dude out this is badass uh, and so they bring us into the booker's room then right before the night is about to start. The card's about to start. And they go over, all right, this is what's going to happen, this and this and this. And I'm, they go over the whole thing. And, like, my part wasn't included. And I was like, man, they forget. And so I kind of, I kind of, like, I waited for the conversation to stop. And I was like, so at what point do you want me to, like, and he goes, oh, don't worry about that. We're not going to do that oh, anymore. Shit. We just oh. like, you've never done anything in a ring before. And we don't, we don't trust you. I'm like, oh my God. Uh, so they, they, they didn't at an independent local wrestling show. Like they didn't trust me to even like throw a fake punch, you know, to this manager. You got Vince, you got Vince at a local show. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> no, some rewrites, man. You're good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, or you can just, just go back to your hotel room. So go back to the um, crowd table. You might remember this. So at the at the end of the, the last match involved, X-Pac was in the last match. It was like X-Pac, Jerry Lynn, and a, there was a couple other you know famous guys that you recognize. <clears throat> Excuse me. So X-Pac's famous finisher move is the Bronco Buster, or it might have been his setup. Might have been his setup move because he had right. the uh, the face plant thing. And um, so he, so opponent is down on the bottom rope in the corner, and X-Pac runs across to do the Bronco Buster. And I think it was one of those, it was one of those where the, the ring, uh, whatchamacallit, the, the turnbuckle was taken off to expose the metal turnbuckle, right? Okay. And so the opponent moves out of the way and he hits the second turnbuckle and hits the metal and, oh my God, right? And then the match continues. Right. The well, these matches aren't, or these, these rings aren't quite like the WWE rings where everything's, you know, these guys are pretty safe when they hit that turnbuckle. This was like an independent wrestling ring. So he hits it and he's selling it for the rest of the night and the match gets over and, you know, we all, then they all, they bring everyone from the back in the ring to, to, to cheers a beer to Jerry Lynn. And X-Pac was like still just like limping and selling this 10, 15 minutes after the match. Oh even, right? So he gets to the back, he takes off his little singlet, right? Pool of blood in his ass. Whoa. Whoa. He split oh. open on that turnbuckle and had to go to Hennepin County Medical Center for no emergency way. surgery and stitches. Yeah. Ooh. It's all, it made TMZ the next morning. If you just Google like X-Pac TMZ, you know, whatever, it's emergency a story that shows up. Surgery. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my <laughs> like, God. Oh, but this guy's like, what a pro this guy is. He's still yeah. selling this thing 15 minutes after the match. No, he was like bleeding out. <laughs> That's what they do. <laughs> well, yeah. But like the fact that he just, grinned and bared at that whole time too as well as he could anyways yeah legend i have the utmost respect because i'm so glad i don't have to do that for a living (laughs) oh my god a lot of those guys man those guys are i mean those guys i don't know how much they made that night but like what's x-pot getting maybe 500 bucks a thousand bucks and some travel i don't i don't know maybe he gets a couple thousand at the time at the time it probably wasn't a lot today in these you can make some good money at the time yeah he probably got if he was lucky he got 500 bucks this is way this is getting way in the weeds now, but did you guys see the Matt Cardona Nick Gage death match, the GCW yeah. death match from like a month ago? I, I saw the, the one where where Cardona won. Is that Car- Cardona won the GCW title when he won the went, title? Yeah, yeah. Went, went through about 15 shards of glass and lights and bled like bled out to the point where he was still bleeding two weeks later. And they didn't oh, have nice. a doctor on staff in the back, so he like went back to his hotel. 
and just wrapped himself in towels and flew to Disney World the next morning or Disneyland. Just amazing. Uh, oh, he was, he was mashed up. Yeah. Uh, mm. Speaking so. of mashed up, Charles, <laughs> I feel like this goes right into what we were talking about. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> All right, Phil. So as you age, do you find the emotional toll of being a pro sports fan, namely a Minnesota sports fan, less worth it? um that's a great question um i would answer it by saying i feel like it doesn't ruin my next day nearly as much as it did 10 or 20 years ago you know like when the vikings got beat in the 1998 nfc championship game i was 12 years old or something i cried and when they got beat in the 2009 NFC championship game. And I was, that was like one of the first few years I was actually working in the industry. And I was at K fan at the time and covering the Vikings and, and doing some radio. And I was more just, I was like viscerally pissed. And I remember like being emotionally affected for multiple days and weeks after that game. And now uh, uh, one of my favorite books is actually uh, written by Bob Knight, the old crusty, just horrible person of a basketball yeah. coach. But he wrote a book called The Power of Negative Thinking, which isn't about being a pessimist and an asshole all the time. It's about preparing mentally for bad things if they happen. Just just be prepared. Like if you're driving on the freeway, just, uh, you know, just expect that semi truck to pull over and just be prepared for if bad things happen. Right. And I have applied that thinking to my Minnesota sports fandom that. Uh, you know, the Vikings are pro- you know, probably going to probably going to have something terrible happen. You know, when Blair Walsh was lining up for that field goal against the Seahawks in the playoffs, I remember dist- I was I was watching with a bunch of friends at a, at a watch party. And I remember blurting out loud as they're walking out. I said, something's going to happen. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God, something's going to happen. Sure enough. That's yeah. that's as much us in our, our loser mentality, though. We are so accustomed to something happening nope. yeah. when it doesn't. Like when the uh, when the Minneapolis miracle occurred, it, it seemed like I was maybe dreaming. You know, it just seemed there's no way this happens to Minnesota fan. Of course, we later lost, but just the 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 idea that we could be the ones to snatch the chain out of someone else's hand. Yeah, it, that never happens to us. It's usually the other way around. So yeah, in instances like that, we do often say. Nah, there's no way some shit's going to go down. We're, and we're even, not going to make it through this. And even with that game, it's like, you know, it, for, for that moment and then the, the few days after, it was like, holy shit, this is like literally the greatest thing that's ever happened in our lives watching Minnesota sports, yes. right? And even then, it's like, but you only get to enjoy it for about five days until you get your asses kicked by the Eagles and get full cans of beer thrown at your head in the stadium, right? Precisely. That, uh, that Blair Walsh kick, I'm, I'm so... I'm so masochistic and stuck in it that like, I, I already knew we weren't going to make that. I had it in my head. I was in San Diego at the time, bars full of Seahawks fans. And uh, I've just been having fun, talking shit, running my mouth, like good nature, just having a good time with everybody at the bar. I knew that I was, there was one other Vikings fan there. Everybody else was Seahawks fans. And uh, they're, you know, the team's coming out to set up for the field goal and this shot of Jameson ends up in front of me and I look up and there's a guy like three or four people down and he goes, Hey, I just wanted to say good game. It was fun talking some trash, like whatever. No, I slid it. I slid it forward and I put my forearms on the bar and I just put my head down. (laughs) Then he goes, what? And I go, just, just wait. 
Yep. I put my head down. Skip <laughs> goes up wide. And I look up and everyone else, like all the Seahawks fans are losing their minds. This dude is staring right at me and he just goes, holy shit, dude. They go, yep. Took the shot, walked up. Like, <laughs> I, I, I knew it was going to happen. Yep. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that, by the way, that wrecked Blair Walsh's career, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he might have been okay Absolutely. the next season, but not, you know, he, for him to, to, he was the best kicker in the NFL the year before or his rookie season. He he and and just out both, of the league, like two years later. He, he and Zerline were both like studs. They were mm-hmm. rookies in the same year. I remember that. And everyone the thought lead. they were, yeah, everyone thought those two were like the, the next two stud kickers and that just fucked them up. Got the yeah. yips. Well, I mean, Gary Anderson retired after 98, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, actually, anyway. actually, dude, he actually he actually kicked. I think he kicked a couple more years, but the year after '98, mm-hmm. if I remember right, he was a mess. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was not the same. Yeah, oh. he was a mental mess. Yeah, and it, ru- it ruined, it, dude. It ruined his marriage. There's a story about that. But that I oh, think shit. I'm pretty sure that kick ruined his marriage. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, like. It, it's just I, I'm finally to a point for me where I just told myself I'm not going to let it like fuck anything up anymore i took the last yeah. the last minnesota sports loss that i took rough was that eagles beat down that we took after the minnesota miracle and i was just a train wreck for the rest of the day and i got up the next day and i was like i mean why like i didn't have anything to do with that i i, I don't play on the team i cheer for the team it's i don't make money off of it like there's nothing yeah. I, I just gotta let it go and yeah. once i did that it's been a lot more fun these last couple of years to just kind of watch I'm like whatever We'll probably screw something up. Maybe we won't, and it's fun. But yeah. it's it's just not worth it. It's too exhausting with all the other shit going on. Like, especially after last year. Like, I just kind of was like, there's more things to, to get worked up about. And I get worked up about plenty other things. So I'll, I'll let is. sports just be something that's fun as an escape. It's a better form of fandom to me. <clears throat> if you can keep a slight gap between your fandom and your emotions and your, and your, how it affects your life. You know, if you can put a little, little space between the two of them, I think it, it makes you appreciate sports more. Um, but then I also feel like if, if we want one of these teams to win a championship, we need to be pushing and we need to be passionate and, you know, we need to, we need, we need to be, we can't be just accepting this gravitational pull toward average and mediocrity, right? We can't just accept that. Oh, apparently the twins want to go into a rebuild again that's ridiculous, you know, and that the, the Vikings, if they don't win a couple games here in the next month, might go into firing a coach and everything. It's like, we need to be, we need to be pushing and passionate to these ownership groups without, <laughs> without losing 10 years on the end of our life, I guess. Or, or without <laughs> convincing them to just move the team to a different city. Yeah. Like that's always the tough part is, you know, yep. we're, we're always the, uh, they might stay, they might not. Uh. Yep. Yep. I mean, Charles, where do you sit on that? Like, I know you get pretty passionate. The impetus for asking this question was talking to Brandon during the Vikes game, my buddy Brandon, just texting while the Vikes game was on last weekend and essentially saying to him, like, man, I don't know how worth it it is for me to, like, get my blood pressure through the roof and get super fucking angry at my television. Uh, So I would say that for me, the toll is not as worth it as it once was, but I haven't lost football yet. I'll say that I do treat the Wolves, the Wild, and the Twins like the news where I, I want to watch and really pay attention if it's good news. 
but when it's not good news, it's better for my blood pressure and my, my anger and my general mood. If I'm not like super zoned in and following every statistic and what every player is doing. Uh, so I've been able to do that with the other major pro sports. Football is the one that I'm still clinging on to. And when we have, when we have disappointments, like we had against Cincinnati, I go, man, why don't I just uh, pay? Why don't I just pay attention to MMA where you never lose? Okay. You never lose in <laughs> MMA pro wrestling. You never lose, you know? Yeah. I want Shinsuke Nakamura to win the world title. If he doesn't, I know that whatever, it's no big deal. It wasn't his fault anyways, but with football, I'm bound to have these disappointments until uh, which time they, they do not disappoint me, but who knows if that'll ever happen. So it's, yeah, it, it feels good to have that emotional uh, attachment because there could be a payoff eventually, but the fact that it has never happened for me means that every year I have this like state of agony about pro sports that I could probably do without. So I'd say it's not as worth it to me as it used to be, but for football, it still happens. The, the other interesting thing is, you know, I, th- I feel like our identity as sports fans in the Twin Cities for our lives. I mean, all of us basically have grown up, you know, no, none of us were around when the Vikings were going to Super Bowls in the 70s. But even then, like they, right. they lost all four of those Super Bowls. So even even older fans, I guess, would fall into this category. I think it yeah. is it is so ingrained in our identity to be the Eeyore sports fans like we. We connect with people by complaining about our sports teams and how they always come up short. And I think Vikings fans especially are one of the only fan bases in America that can connect with each other by just saying the year of a heartbreak. Man, remember 98? Oh, my God. Remember 09? You know, like that's how we connect. Like, oh, man, what about 98? 98 is like a trigger year for Vikings fans. All right, I feel like I feel like we should pause this and we should all take a sip because that's going to go right into my next question. We are literally, yeah, it's a follow-up so, uh, question in effect. Yeah, so sort of a follow-up slash slightly different turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, as said, sports fan, and acknowledging that we are slightly masochistic for loving Minnesota sports as we do, what's your number one heartache? Like, where were you? How old were you? And what's the one when you, if you had to explain to somebody how painful it is to be a Minnesota sports fan, what's the number one? Like what, what is the one that crushes you the most? Can I give you a Mount Rushmore? Can I give you four? I feel like I wouldn't be doing it justice if I didn't give you a Mount Rushmore here. You know, it's so hard. Well, the George Washington (laughs) on the Mount Rushmore is, is 98. I mean, it just, it's, yeah, I, I cried. I, some of it was naivety. I mean, there's a lot of fans. I think now that I've talked to some of the older fans and my co-host Judd, uh, Judd Zolgad, he was around for, I mean, he was born in the late sixties. So he was around as a kid for the seventies. The older fans never fully bought into the 98 team. Cause they knew, you know, they've, they had seen it before multiple times, but if you were born, if you're 40 years old or younger, basically, or like 45 years old or younger, you were all in on that 1998 team. And as a 12-year-old, watching that team kick the shit out of every NFL team in the league, they got beat once. They were 15-1, and one, and they had the greatest point-scoring offense in NFL history. Drop back, throw a pass to Randy Moss. There was literally no thought in my mind that they were going to lose to the Falcons. It wasn't even a thought. It was, it was a foregone conclusion they were going to steamroll that team. 
maybe they'd have a problem against the Broncos in the Super Bowl, but like, right, they were going to the Super Bowl. And then bang, bang, Gary Anderson misses the field goal, touchdown Falcons. I think it was overtime. And then mm-hmm. Morton Anderson kicks the game winner. And it was like such a shell shock. And it was the first time I ever just had my world rocked by a sports team, right? It's like what my reality was just shook. And again, naivety. Um, the other ones, I would say some of these are like retroactive uh, disappointments and heartbreaks. For but sure. Oh, for sure. The, two, the 2009 NBA draft, oh. when oh, you had a chance, you had two, you needed a point guard and two shots. You had two freaking picks. Yeah. And you took Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn. Flynn over Steph Curry. And in the moment, it was like, well, I feel like, like Steph Curry might be a nice, like that dude can shoot the lights out. He'd be a nice little three point shooter. And like it wasn't a devastating in the moment mistake. But as the years right. progressed, it just became more and more glaring. And obviously it's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but my God. Well, and it's, it, it's so on brand. That's the thing is you didn't realize it at the time, but that was the most perfectly on brand thing for us to have done. Was yeah. Well, Ricky made ignore, sense. Yeah. We, we, Ricky we, made took sense. Sam Bowie, we took Sam Bowie twice. <laughs> no, so Ricky, Ricky at the time was obviously like one of the highly, most highly vaunted prospects in in basketball of of that time but johnny flynn was a march madness darling he had a a star showcase during march madness and that vaulted him into the position that he was in to be selected and that pick i couldn't understand didn't he have there was like a six overtime game in the conference tournament the big east tournament it was like syracuse against yukon or something and Johnny Flynn played like 70 minutes and, you know, put a bunch of points. Yeah. This oh, guy. he went, he went bonkers. He went slapped the bonkers. Fl- slapped the floor a couple of times and showed yep. toughness. Yeah. He was gonna gritty. Like, He's yeah. got grit. David Kahn said, you're going to love this guy's defense. <laughs> yeah. Such great defense. Nice. nice. <laughs> All right. Well, um, the first two are pretty damn legit. <laughs> uh, so this, again, this is sort of, you know, Minnesota sports breaking your heart. This is more of a lifetime achievement one. But I feel like there should be some sort of social media account or hell, maybe we should just start every show we do on Mackie and Judd with this statement. The Minnesota Twins have the longest postseason losing streak in North American sports history. In a, in a coin flip game in which the best teams, you know, if you translate a Major League Baseball season to an NFL season, the best teams in baseball are like nine and seven, you know, like NFL, you know, and it, it, maybe, maybe the great teams are like 10 and six. They win a hundred games out of 160. Right. And so it's a coin flip sport. The worst team can beat the best team. And the twins have had some damn good teams. In fact, all of the twins teams that have lost playoff games have been 90 or 100 win teams for the most part. Right. And they haven't won. Forget about losing series. They haven't won a playoff game Single since game. 2014. They're 0 and 18. <laughs> And it's and it's it kind of pisses me off. It kind of pisses me off that they that they're so irrelevant this year that people just aren't talking about them. It's like this is one of the most colossally failed and disappointing scenes. Homer, my entire broadcast career, and I've defended so many things. And it's like baseball's always been my favorite sport. And I sit here this year, and I am just disgusted. I wouldn't be mad if the Twins just went away on a rebuild for three years and conceded 
some attention to the wolves in the wild and whatever, you know? So, so number three is just the, it's like a two decade lifetime achievement of the twins losing 18 straight playoff games. <laughs> how is that oh, possible? That's so real though. I don't, it's, I don't know like, how it's possible. I never would have. Yeah. You would never believe that it would be possible unless you saw it actually fucking happen. Dude, here's, a, here's another thing that people don't realize in that over that stretch, they haven't scored more than four runs in a playoff game since oh. 2004. So they oh. haven't even like accidentally scored nine in one. Like you can't even against, against the A's in 06 or against the Astros last year. Like you can't even just, Oh man, we had one of those days offensively. Everything was clicking. We scored nine <laughs> and got, and then got beat in the rest of the games. Nope. Nope. Oh, self-fulfilling. Prophecy. <laughs> that's amazing. I've never thought then, about that, but Jesus, that's horrible. And then, uh, and then the fourth one, I was a freshman at the University of Minnesota in 2003. And I was, uh, so I had student section tickets and I was sitting about 10 rows up on a Friday night as the ranked Golden Gopher football team was playing Michigan, like vaunted Michigan. This is peak Michigan. And the Gophers were up by three touchdowns going into the fourth quarter. And my friends and I were, how are we getting on the field? How are we storming the field? Right. And as we're talking about like, so there's a line of security. If we all go, then they can't stop. Like, and we're sitting there saying, cause this never happens with go for football. Right. We're saying, well, other schools storm the field all the time. It can't be that big of a deal. Let's just, let's just go on the field. And while we're having this discussion, there's a swing pass for a touchdown by Michigan. There's Braylon Edwards up the seam or whatever oh, for a touchdown. God. The Gophers blew a three touchdown lead in the fourth quarter to Michigan. They were on, they were six and zero. they were undefeated. They were ready to be a top 10 team in the country. They had three NFL running backs on the same team. Lawrence Maroney, uh, Mary and Barber, and Thomas to pay. Yep. Thomas to pay was also on that team. They had, I think they had two NFL offensive linemen that were amazing. And they had one, they had one of the best, they, they ran for 400 yards in that game. They ran for 400. In fact, I saw the Gophers run for 400 yards twice in my four years going to games once against Michigan in 03. And then once against Wisconsin in 2005, they lost both games. <laughs> so the Gophers losing to Michigan in 2003, I saw, like, I saw, I saw students die walking up the steps, you know, just, they were just deceased after that game happened. So those, that's my Mount the, Rushmore. I went, I went to that game with a friend of mine who went to Michigan and I was in the Michigan student section mm. wearing maroon and gold and talking a whole lot of shit for three quarters. Yeah. And uh, I, I learned how to eat the shit that I talked at that game. Dude, <laughs> that was rough. That uh, was rough. Charles, what about you? What's your, what's your, what's your dagger? What's your, well, that murdered me. I'm I'm glad my selection was not uh, any of Phil's 37 selections. So I'm going to say the, the 09 NFC Championship. It, 98 was definitely the bigger disappointment, but waiting that long. And then I was in, you know, I was in my formative years. I was 27 years old. And, and, and I was like, we're finally back. We scraped our way all the way back up the hill. We're a great team. It was ordained. We got Favre. Uh, Peterson is chugging along. Like I thought that was the squad. And the series of shooting ourselves in the foot over and over 
And that doesn't even account for things we later discovered about Bounty Gate. Mm-hmm. But that was, that, was, that was a brutal feeling. And I remember it, partly because experientially, being at that game, I was at a friend's house, my buddy Eric's house. We were watching in his basement. There must have been 50 people at his house. And when we lost, I was on my knees in his basement. And I just kind of just stayed there as everybody else departed. And kind of, I couldn't move for probably 30 minutes. I was yeah. just beside myself wondering how is it that we couldn't pull this off after we had every chance every conceivable chance that's the crazy thing is we didn't we didn't lose out of play we we lost so many opportunities and still had a shot to win that thing so it made it just exponentially worse it was a thousand cuts it wasn't a single cut it was like Mm -hmm. we can still do it we can still do it okay hold Mm -hmm. on we can still do it well we're still in this well hang on we can still (laughs) Uh, all told, we we failed again, and it had been you know eleven years since our last big shot, and I was just, it was it was very difficult for me to take. So that, the that toughest my- part too, I think, is when you compare the '98 team. Like the '98 team is regarded as the best team in modern Vikings history, but they right. also had like three season-ending knee injuries in that NFC Championship game. I want to say like mm-hmm. uh, one of their cornerbacks. I think John Randall was banged up, and they yep. like they would not have been really fully healthy. And the Broncos were an all-time great team with Trell Davis. They might yes. the '98 team might have lost that Super Bowl. The those 09 team was not two a, of those two teams. The '98 Vikes and the '98 Broncos are two of. I mean, you could you could say those are two of the top twenty-five teams of all time. Those are yeah. incredible football teams. Yeah, the '09 team would have beat the Colts. That yeah. that was not that would not yeah. have been a that the the, the the NFC Championship game was the Super Bowl in two thousand nine. The Vikings would have beat the Colts, I think, pretty handily in that Super Bowl. Unfortunately, yes, I agree. I totally yeah. agree. That was the tough part. Like with 98, I, I was John Elway was my first all time favorite player. And so I was having trouble thinking about the fact that the Vikings were going to play the Broncos and like, who am I going to cheer for? And I, I still believe that the Broncos would have stomped us. I think that their their defense was fast enough that I don't know if we because we had just coasted for so long on chuck it up and then get first downs with Chris Carter and then, mm-hmm. you know, do some some screens and some runs. I, I just don't know. I, I, I think we would have lost. I, I really do. Uh, oh, the Vikes would have won, so let's move on. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, mine is, is honestly, it was the, the closest that I've come to being a part of a team. And it was uh, 2011, 2012. I was the in-arena hype guy for the Timberwolves. And Were you, was, was it some, you? Who, who, I don't remember that. Yeah, it was so me what, and b so Okay. So, oh, so you took, over, you took over for Natalie and for uh, Rylander. Yeah, I was I was okay. the new Natalie, and uh, and B right was. <laughs> there were a lot of jokes made at my expense about that, and I tried to own all of them. But there was something about that team that was like, it was the first time that we had had like a gritty, scrappy team since that uh, Latrell Sprewell, Sam, and uh, and Kevin team, and there was something about like Luke Ridnour had this ability to kind of turn it on, and Kevin Love was just like the master of all things rebound and putback. And Rubio was on fire. And I really thought that we had a, a solid chance of hitting like that seventh or eighth seed in the West and going into the playoffs. I don't know how far we would have gone, but it was really fun for like how bad we started out. Things were clicking and that team started rolling. And then we were playing the Lakers and I was on the court when Rubio tried to deke against Kobe and blew out his knee. And I watched it, saw it, yeah. heard it. I watched Kobe laugh at him and step over him. Uh, and roll his eyes and walk off the court, which is why I still don't like Kobe Bryant, amongst other things. Uh, but 
it was like you all of the hope that we had that entire time it was all gone right there yeah like tom hanneman and i used to talk before the game and we had started talking about the idea that like somehow the way these guys were putting it together we actually had faith in the fourth quarter and we started doing this to each other we'd be like fourth quarter faith like it feels kind of good and then boom done and that team yeah. i think we ended the season with like 19 wins total i mean it, it was, was that was a, i think that was a lockout season too because it was a short it yep. was a shortened season correct and and when they were playing the lakers because i so i remember they were like a game out of the eight seed or something when they were playing the lakers but they but they had started clicking and yep um and then rubio yep. came back the next year or the year after because then kevin love broke his hand doing knuckle push-ups quote unquote all right. Quote, unquote, <laughs> knuckle push-ups. Um, walls are hard when you're punching yeah. them is another yep. side lesson here to this podcast. But um, they then came back like a year or two later and they were really good for a full season. And they had, they had one of the best like five point differentials in the Western conference, but they still finished 40 and 42 because they couldn't close games. Yep. That whole era was because you had Love, you had Rubio, you had Pekovic. Like there were some good players on those teams, and then they just couldn't get over the hump. If Pekovic could have stayed healthy, and like JJ Barea could have been like a little bit more active, it was such a fun team to watch, and they had such great chemistry. Like I loved being on the court with those guys because we had so much fun. Like I'd be there doing my pregame stat breakdown, and Barea would throw basketballs at me and try and hit me, and so I'm like trying to like duck out of the way while doing that. And if he couldn't hit me, he'd just run up and jump on my back and then make me carry him around. Like the vibe on that team, they all loved each other and they got along so well. And for whatever reason, it just like when Rubio went down, it just felt like, again, the most Minnesota thing. Like we finally have some hope and sort of the linchpin that's gluing all these guys together. Just, oh, well, that's it for him. Never mind. And then I, I everything don't... just completely fell apart. And I don't want to burst your J.J. Barea bubble, but I'm pretty sure he led the league in getting rejected by the bottom side of the backboard when oh, he went absolutely. out for layups. <laughs> you know J.J. Barea for another scoop layup, rejected. He was like a – he was like the new Mark Madsen. Like, he was so excited for the team yeah. that people fed off that energy. And even when he did stupid shit, like when Madsen would just try to go back up and Shaq would just stuff him. He was still trying. Was way meaner than what Phil just said. He just <laughs> equated him to Mark Madsen. <laughs> when, do you guys remember Mark Madsen? There was a game at the – it was toward the end of the KG run where KG – like the Wolves were out of it and they just, they just sat KG for like the last seven games. And the last game of the season, they were trying to jockey for a lottery position. And Mark Madsen shot like eight threes in a game. Like they just told Mark Madsen, Do go it. out there and just shoot threes because we need to lose this game. Just be a team guy, okay? Yep. Wave a towel and shoot eight threes, please. How many did he make? One? Zero. Okay. No, not, zero. Not <laughs> oh my god. Oh. All right, let's, um, let's, uh, right. let's move along. So, yeah. oh, I'm back up to I'm back up to bat. So yep. we're we're switching away from sports. Thank you for bearing with us, listeners of ours that don't give a fuck about sports. Hold on, Charles. Uh, should we should we take a a, a swig quick? You know what? I think we should. All right. Here's the Mark Madsen going eight, over eight on threes. Cheers. Yeah. We all need a Mark Madsen. And even if you don't, even, even if you don't like sports, I feel like you can you can at least hopefully relate to people getting their hearts ripped out of their chest for things they're emotionally invested in, right? Everyone's got something like that. They got that. They got that 15 second skip button, and it still counts as them having some <laughs> so they can just jam on that a few times. 
Uh, tip guys, if you don't like what we're talking about, just hit that button a couple of times. Yeah. So Phil, we've all got one. Your favorite person to dine with that is not your like someone other. someone that I have dined with before, or someone that someone I someone you like going out to eat with is just a, you love dining with this individual. Patrick, uh, sorry for the sports answer here, but uh, Patrick Roy okay. Patrick Roycey, he oh, is a yes. long time <laughs> yes, long time Star Tribune columnist, sports columnist, mm -hmm. and one of the great storytellers in American history, like legitimately, he's one of the great storytellers ever. And so I feel like whenever we've gone, we've probably gone out to eat, I don't know, 40 times. And we used to do a show together, you know, back 2010 through 2014, and we still remain great friends. And he makes appearances on our show, but um, we would go to JD Hoyt's every once in a while, downtown Minneapolis. And he was always appetizer guy. And so I love stories and appetizers. All right, uh, can I get you guys anything to uh, to drink here? Yeah, we'll take, you know, this, this, this. Okay. And then he cuts in with, and uh, let's do uh, uh, three bunny bowls, uh, catfish, shrimp, and, uh, and let's do uh, two orders of calamari and uh, three orders of the garlic cheese bread. <laughs> like just more food than you've ever had in your life for uh, an appetizer. So uh, stories and overindulgence, I think, are my my favorite reasons for Those are good reasons. going out to eat with Patrick. I also <laughs> love that everybody that's ever hung out or worked with Patrick has a, an impression of him. Like he's he's like a he's like a Christopher Walken. Uh, like if you're around him, everyone does it, and you just kind of have to. So we're okay. We're uh, I I could there's a million Royce stories, but we're when when we used to do our show together, you know, it was a three hour radio show and. The breaks were the first, so you'd start at the top of the hour, you know, your show would start at noon, and then the first commercial break would be at like 20 after. So you'd have a 20 minute long segment to start with, right? Um, and we would, so we would, we get into the show and you'd, you know, you kind of knew that you'd have to pace it to get to the 20 minute mark. He, um, <laughs> so one day we start the show and we get about eight minutes in. So we're 12 minutes before the, the first schedule break, right? And he gives me this, I know people can't see this, but he gives me this like, hey, let's let's move it along. Like I'm talking, he gives me the like, let's move it along. The rolling signal, finger signal, the rolling let's finger let's signal, right? <laughs> and I look at him and I kept going. I look at him and I'm like, and he gives it to me again with like the wide eyes, like, hey, let's let's wrap it here. And I would and I and I stopped my point and I said, Pat, what? <laughs> So Pat, why are you? I just brought it to the air. I'm like, why are you asking me to stop right now? And he goes, We got, we, I gotta go. And when I'm, and, and our producer, our producer jumps on the mic and he goes, Pat, we don't, we don't have, like, this is all on the air, right? He goes, We don't have a commercial break for ten more minutes. And he goes, I know, I gotta go. <laughs> and we were like, Oh, I think we went, I think we went to a Chinese buffet for our pregame. Uh, lunch or something or like oh, okay well we'll be right back audience <laughs> i gotta go <laughs> oh, that's awesome. all right sounds good my, that, oh, that yeah. kung pao chicken is coming in fast got him <laughs> my first experience with that guy i was i was cruising to the radio station i was going to be on a, a show about craft beer and i got out and i had like a bunch of beer with i brought way too much because i didn't know what i was supposed to bring and I saw this like sports legend who I've been listening to and reading most of my life walking out to his car. And I was like, 
Mr. Ricey, would, would you like some beer? I'm bringing it all in for the, uh, the station, but I got some. He goes, ah, I gave that shit up years ago, but you know what, kid? You go have fun. <laughs> like, yep. I'm a kid? He, so I'm like, all right. <laughs> he's been sober since I want to say 1980, I think. Oh, yeah. But he's the first guy to show up to any party with a bottle of vodka for the rest of the people, right? Like he'll he'll stop in and bring something for the That's party every time. That's a type. Good person. Yep. That's amazing. So Quam, <laughs> yeah. who's who is your answer to this particular inquiry? Well, you know, like it's it would be easy to say you, Charles, because I love talking about food with you. And I have a couple of really close friends uh, that I, I enjoy doing the same thing with, but I'm going to do uh, somebody who I have known for a very long time, and we haven't had a lot of meals together, but the meals that we have had together are some of the most memorable of my life. Uh, Phil, I don't know if you know him or not, but uh, old friend of mine, college classmate of mine, and uh, current Toronto uh, liver in, uh, is a guy named Tom Lineman. Yeah, uh, <laughs> dude, I used to I used to produce I used to produce my one of my first production jobs as like a 20 year old kid on cave fan for Tom Lineman and Corey roofs called high school. It was a high school scoreboard show. So, uh, I go back about 16 years with old John Sharkman. <laughs> so Tom Lineman and I met at a, a college house party. Uh, and by the end of it, we were doing color commentary and play by play on the spice channel, which was playboys, uh, streaming <laughs> soft core porn channel. And uh, a friendship was born from that. And we have run into each other in random cities <laughs> Uh, when he flies home, we'll go out. He has a great palate. He loves good food. He loves a good bowl of soup or ramen or pho. Uh, it's just, no matter what happens, if you don't know Tom or you don't know me, it's just going to be fun no matter what, because we're just going to mess with you. Because neither one of us have any worries about what people are going to think of us. So whenever we go out, it's a game of one-upsmanship about like, who can mess with the bartender more? Who can mess with the server more? Who can mess with the table next to us more? All while enjoying a great meal. And uh, I have a lot of really wonderful culinary-minded humans in my life. But Tom is somebody that every time we eat, there's like a layer of danger that I kind of enjoy. And you never know what's going to happen because that is somebody that there, there are very few people that I would say you couldn't dare me enough to stop, but Tom 100% might outdo me no matter what dare was going on. I feel like he might go farther than I would. And that's hard to find in this world. By so, the way, I'm, uh, glad you, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the spice channel because I am convinced that back in the late nineties, I'm convinced that all, you know, all of the channels that were like, you know, snowed out, that they purposely snowed it out on a lesser level so that you could just see enough. Like you could see a left boob and then yep. maybe you're going to order the spice channel, you know? Absolutely. We, we, we've talked about that, that that was the best guerrilla marketing that anybody could have done is just let it appear for long enough that a bunch of idiots like us pre-internet well, where you had to try to find porn. Yeah. Like a bunch they of didn't idiots have control. Watch for half an hour. So when we, we actually had money controlled when, we, when a boom popped up. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, no, you know, when you're in college and you actually have a little bit of money, you can all pitch in. And then we would just have that on in the background. Like, God, it's horrible to think about now, but like we would just have that on in the background at every party we had. Yeah. It was just always playing. It was like music and then porn. Great music. <laughs> Well, the great music in the porn too. Now, the, re the reason that it was like that is because there was a mechanism in the box where they would send a signal and it would de-scramble if you paid. That's how you got pirate boxes. We had a pirate box when I was a kid. There was a little button on the back that you click and it would make the TV unscramble. 
don't ruin our conspiracy theory, Charles. <laughs> My version's better. It's, isn't that that's the fact that you could get a box at one point and you could it was like uh, it was like Torrance, but in the yeah. 80s and 90s. Or you could throw a sick kegger and you could pay for it for the entire year and call it a day. What we did. <laughs> I, I feel like Tom and I should have a reunion. It's been 20 years. We should have we should have a reunion and throw a party where he and I sit. Because I will give you credit. I will give him credit. I was the play-by-play, so I was pretty dry. Uh, Tom doing color commentary on softcore porn was one of the funnier things I've ever seen in my entire life. Because there's a lot of ways that you can go with that kind of a Did he bust out the, the John Madden telestrator and draw on the screen, too? No, but we did. We found there's a, <laughs> there's a seam over here and a seam over here, and you go up the middle and bam. You know the, you know the <laughs> stripping that goes on the floor between, like, a terrible linoleum kitchen and, like, the carpeted area? I don't know what that's called, but, like, that, that strip of wood that goes over that? Yeah. We had a loose one, and that became the pointer. So he would get up and he would start and be like, see what he's going to do. He's going to bring his hand around here, which is going to allow him to get through this. <laughs> and like, we, we turned around and there were 40 people at this party drinking beers and just watching us narrate porn. <laughs> Mystery so Science like, Theater 3000 for Scrambled Spice Channel. Yes. There it is. X-Rated Theater 3000. Uh, Charles, what about you, my man? My answer probably will not come as much of a surprise to anybody who knows him, but one of my best friends is Nathan Beck, former guest on the podcast. And Nate is so entertaining to eat with because he's absolutely fucking voracious. Like he's just, when he eats, he has so much joy when he like consumes food. He does this thing, like I do an impression of him to him, but he, he like, he eats something and he does like kind of the dog whale eye where he kind of turns his head and he's, oh. Oh, and he smacks his lips and then takes another bite and he's like oh man wow you gotta have you tried this did you try this like, <laughs> i just i love that about him everything he eats he's so vocal about it because even when i'm enjoying what i'm eating i'm not necessarily super vocal like this is i, I don't tell people this is a winner with my mannerisms the way that he does but when he enjoys something like the look on his face and also the fact that in the state of minnesota for for people who are from this state uh, they understand this for people who are not, they don't understand this. We're very shy about like eating more than our fair share. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a dynamic oh, yeah. here. There's always uh, one wing left on the plates. You know, there's it's yeah. the, the sacrifice. Dude, yeah. The we will saw, the, we will saw the last tater tot in half 53 times. <laughs> yes. right. And then leave that kernel. You have to leave yep. something. Yep. But with Nate, he, you know, if there's a piece of food left and he liked it, he'll eat the piece of food. And I'm the same way. I don't eat as like, I don't eat as like voraciously. I don't like, I, if, if it's my own plate, I do eat very quickly. But if it's a shared plate, I make sure to look around and make sure everyone's getting their fair share. But if there's one piece left and I want one more piece, I'm going to eat that piece. Nate will eat that piece. There's not a lot of people I know that are like, yes, one more piece of pizza. I am yeah. enjoying this pizza. I didn't eat more than everybody else. I'm going to eat that. Most people in, in this state in particular are like. Eh, and then when, and then when the waiter or waitress me. comes by and she's like, oh, you know, is anyone going to want that last wing? And then six nope. people at the table all look at each other like, oh, no, why don't you take it? No, why don't you take it? Why don't you take it? Why don't you take it? It's ridiculous. We're also full. We're just also full. <laughs> so I look, because there's always one person that's like, you know what? We're, we're still nibbling. We're, we're, yeah. we're going to stare. Still... AK, we want to stare at this wing for another five minutes and no one will touch it. We're, st we're, we're still nibbling. working on it. We're still working on it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, fucking cheers to everybody, spouses or not, who goes out to eat with us. <laughs> Bless it. Mm. all right mr mackey 
we live in an era where it seems like uh, creativity is is uh, a foreign concept to Hollywood. And originally, I was going to say, if there was a movie that you could have remade, because they're like remaking everything, but they keep picking terrible things to remake. If there was a movie from your childhood that could be remade, what would it what would it be? But I'll also throw out, was there a storyline from wrestling when you were a kid that you would love to see happen now? Wow. Um, well, the, the obvious one, the Montreal screw job that, that launched us into like sort of the attitude and reality era of wrestling where you had an actual, you know, for people that don't watch wrestling, Vince McMahon, the owner of WWF wanted to protect his company and told the champion, Bret Hart, the match is going to end this way. And then told everyone else, actually, we're going to do it this way. Um, there's, I mean, there's been so many documentaries about that, but like a movie about that would be very fascinating to me, I guess. Maybe just to me. Sure. That'll me. happen. No, I think that that is going to happen at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the problem is that the, the ending of the story is not great because Bret Hart had a very unceremonial end at, at WCW. You got kicked in the head by Goldberg and got a stroke. Had they a never approached him. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's the good. ending of the story is that he, he never really said fuck you to the boss because he went somewhere and they mistreated him physically and like on screen and he just never ended up having much of a career after that to the art to the uh to the other part of your question i feel like i'm probably being way too nostalgic here but i feel like i grew up like 90s movies to me were so fantastic and so untouchable in some ways like I grew up on all those Jim Carrey movies in the nineties and I grew up on all those amazing action movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, true lies. And um, a lot of movies that you just wouldn't even attempt to make anymore because they probably just wouldn't do well enough at the box office. So I guess I'm trying to think of movies that maybe like the rock Dwayne Johnson could, could, could be the star in instead of whichever action star was in the, late eighties, early nineties. Like we already made, we already remade Ghostbusters. Um, my favorite movies that, that I watched all the time growing up were any Rocky movie from like the eighties and then eventually came back in the two thousands. Um, any action movie, we do action movie rewinds on Fridays on our podcast, any action movie from like the eighties or the nineties, any comedy with Adam Sandler or Jim Carrey. I don't know that I would remake any of those. Right. You know, it's tough. It. Like remakes yeah. are really dicey. You got to be really careful. I see like the Wonder Years is coming back on ABC. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. I watched. I watched an episode. I just found out about that pilot episode, and it was actually pretty entertaining. Okay, I, I thought it was pretty cool. Okay, interesting. It's uh, it's Check got it a lot of heart. I don't know if it'll last. I don't know. Like, I'm not as in love with all the characters, but I also don't remember how long it took me to fall in love with the Wonder Years when I was a I kid. I will say to answer your question slightly differently, I was all in on sitcoms in the 90s. It was like the heyday of sitcoms, right? You had mm -hmm. TGIF on Friday nights, you had Full House, Family Matters, Step yeah. by Step, like all these awesome shows, Perfect Strangers in the early 90s. Um, and they just like, they don't make the big two minute intro song intros anymore. Everything is very happy. They still have sitcoms, but it's not as, it's not like it was in the 90s. It would be hilarious to see what a modern version of Full House looked like, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right, here's here's like 14 people living in a house together, learning life lessons that end with Danny Tanner giving some sort of speech at the end with corny music, you know? 
Dude, again, totally agree with you. <laughs> uh, maybe a new sitcom set in modern day where they have the same sensibilities of those sitcoms, like where they spin around in their chair and they do this move. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People would watch that. I love it. Totally. <laughs> Uh, Charles, what about you? What would you what would you resurrect? Well, I'm going to hit these both real quick. Uh, this has been in the works for a long time, but I don't know if it got greenlit. They need to make a new Spawn movie. I, there's so many comic book movies. Yes. Image doesn't get a lot of respect. Spawn was my favorite comic as a teenager after I grew up on X-Men and a lot of other stuff. But my favorite when I was a little kid was X-Men. And then as a teenager, I was obsessed with Spawn. I love the original Spawn movie. I had no choice but to love it, no matter how good or bad it was. Uh, Michael Jai White could reprise the role as Spawn today. He looks the same. Because he's still ferocious. He looks but incredible. I would, yeah, I would pick John Boyega, personally. I think he's due to have some sort of like a cool comic book role, and I think he would do great. He's got a good tenor and like mentality and sort of emotion on screen that I think would work really well in that role. I'm going to run right into the wrestling thing. Once you brought that up, I didn't know you were going to mention that, but I'll just tell you right now. Wrestling is really bad at romance stuff, but it wasn't always the case. And if they could find a way to do a storyline akin to, because you can't retread, obviously. It's not like new characters can play old characters. You know, it's funny to think about, because why can't that be? But what I would like to see is a storyline like the Macho Man, Miss Elizabeth, Scary Sherry, storyline but modern day like why why are we so ineffective at uh storylines that include love interests in pro wrestling these days yeah if anything it's like someone kisses and that's the end of it like oh no i can't believe they kissed and then they're the valet or the manager for yeah. the next six months and then eventually they just stop doing it but the whole thing with macho man turning heel and having scary sherry as his valet and miss elizabeth like not understanding how to get through to him and then running down to the ring to save him. And that thing, that was, that was such a big deal. I, I feel like it's a tearjerker. It's a tearjerker. Yeah. I, I believe that. I wish we could have storylines like that. I mean, that wait, but don't you feel me. like, don't you feel like triple H taking a passed out Stephanie McMahon to a Vegas drive through <laughs> wedding? Like that, that didn't tug at your heartstrings. That would play really well in today's climate. I feel like. Yeah, exactly. I, I cried for a very different reason. When I <laughs> or Mark Henry and uh, May Young and the hand giving May Young giving birth to a hand. I, th I feel like, I feel like you're underselling wrestling romance stories. <laughs> he did give an interview like two months ago where he said he still has no idea why they did that. Yeah. I, I, still, I still don't understand it. No one ever explained it. <laughs> so oh my God. Uh, I, so I've been obsessed. I, I threw this out as a joke uh, a few months back and I've been obsessed with it ever since. Mm -hmm. I would love to see a remake of the karate kid only it's MMA and it's Anderson Silva and his like kind of broken English teaching this kid actually how to fight. Like not to be his son too. <laughs> like yeah. I would actually want to see like. He's teaching him a rear naked choke or something like a <laughs> like, legitimate. Like movie. he takes it to the bullies at the school and actually whoops their ass. He what? does high level focus training with like tennis balls where he throws them <laughs> off the wall and punches them. That's very much like a modern version. of I'll say wax up. Cobra Kai is a pretty good Netflix show. It's going into the fourth season. If you guys haven't love seen it. Cobra Kai, it's I love it. Good. I love absolutely it. love it. I'm on I board. want. I would. I want actual like ass whooping. I want Daniel Saad to actually have to like really fight somebody and take some legit punches and then like have to choke somebody out. I love that idea. 
And the wrestling story like I was gonna say, yeah, can we get can we get Bloodsport? Let's just remake Bloodsport. Let's do it, dude. Oh, just got our episode. Oh, I love it. And then for the for the for the the wrestling line, I hadn't thought about. I threw this in because you know we were talking about wrestling at the top of the show, but I I would love to see in today's climate. I would love to see the big boss man versus like Jake the Snake and like. I mean, what would have been at the time, like the junkyard dog to have like a little like the rural guy that doesn't like authority. And then I guess junkyard dog would probably be somewhat more like like BLM style and actually have to fight like the power of the, the police. Well, I got to stumble my way down the hill for dinner here in a, in a couple minutes, but. All right, this has so been a blast, wrap, boys. This has been a blast. To wrap this up, can we ask you one more question? Yeah, fire away. Super quick. All right, so uh, you're living in the Pacific Northwest. You've been in Minnesota for most of your life. Is there something that you miss from Minnesota? And is there something that you wish we would learn more about or adopt from the Pacific Northwest after being out there for a little while? Wow. So I feel like, because I've only been here for six months, I feel like I still am, am, am getting a feel for... Uh, the culture here. Um, I mean, the easy answer is I, I miss some of my friends. I, you know, I, I definitely miss Target Field, even though the Twins suck, and I miss being around Minnesota sports on a closer level. Sure. One thing I love about and Minnesota is is a little bit this way too, but like one thing I love about Seattle is people. I'm overgeneralizing here, but like people are so comfortable in their own skin and they wear, they don't, they don't dress up ever anywhere. Like most people just sort of show up in their yoga pants and workout clothes or whatever. And um, I feel like in Minnesota, sometimes we apologize for ourselves or our oh, weather sure. or, you know, and we don't have to. Minnesota's awesome. Just love it. Own it. Um, being, being, being more confident in where you live and, and your state. I think, I think Minnesotans, and I've been guilty of this, don't, don't, don't apologize. Don't apologize. It's great. You know, people out here, I think are uh, a lot less apologetic about where they live. So be confident in where you live in Minnesota. That's what I'm saying. Well, uh, since we got to let you go, I feel like that's some good words of advice for us to, uh, to leave everybody on. Um, Phil, for people that uh, love listening to you and they want to know more about you, they want to hear more of your show, where do they go to find you? Yeah, the best central hub for everything we're doing from a Minnesota sports perspective is scorenorth.com, S-K-O-R north.com. Um, Purple Daily, Mackie and Judd are my two daily shows. We talk Vikings every day on Purple Daily. Mackie and Judd is more of a variety Minnesota sports and entertainment show. And, um, you know, we're just – I. I think we're, we're, we're trying to revolutionize the way that local sports is produced and consumed from a, from an audio and video standpoint. And we're doing a lot of things that not a lot of top 20, 25 markets are doing in the local sports space. And so if, uh, if you like Minnesota sports at all, or you like Minnesota, check us out and um, yeah, let me know what you think. Thanks for having me on guys. This has been a blast. Hey, uh, hot take real quick. What's uh, what's your prediction for the Vikings record this year? Um, so I, I said 10 and seven before the season and then they lost the Bengals. And so, um, I'm going to make it, uh, 
Well, I was going to say I'll reduce it by one win, but they lost to the Bengals. And so I'm going to say probably seven and 10 now if they <laughs> it's a tough schedule. I don't, I don't think it ends well. I really don't. Uh, I think it's going to be a brutal year, too. Uh, yeah. Charles, where do people find you on the internet? You find me on Instagram at it came from the CEO. Woo. Uh, tell your friends about the show. Uh, keep listening to the show. S- smash that like yeah. button. I think that's what kids say. Uh, subscribe. I don't mm-hmm. know. Give us a review. Be nice. Uh, you Hit can find buttons. me at all things communist. No matter what, this is libations for everyone. We've had a blast. Phil Mackey, thank you so much for being a part of this. And uh, awesome, we'll see you guys. next episode, baby. Yeah. See Bye. You.